Rogues Gallery Uncovered. Bad behaviour in period costume. History's greatest libertines, Lotharios and complete bastards. Watch out for adult themes and a bit of colourful language. Saga Lout. Extreme violence, senseless butchery, tactical vomiting and poetry. With hard drinking, hard rhyming, easily offended Viking heartthrob, Egil Skallagrimsen. Thanks again to all you rogues for helping to make this podcast a success. Download numbers are climbing nicely and I'm working on roguish merchandise and Patreon-only goodies to tempt you with as we speak. You are a thoroughly disreputable bunch, which is brilliant. By the way, if you are Icelandic or a Norse history enthusiast and I've pronounced the subject of this podcast's name incorrectly, I can but apologise. I've said it about 50 different ways over the years and have been told every single time that it's a bit wrong. I think that this is the medieval pronunciation of Egil. But if I sound like a buffoon who deserves to be given a grammatical blood eagle, just let me know. And if you don't know what a blood eagle is, I'll leave a link in the show notes. It's a means of Viking execution, and it's pretty unpleasant. Okay, by now you know the score about this tale being narrated in the present tense of the period in which it's set. I'm not a 12th century Viking saga teller, so obviously I'm not in favour of Egil's more unpleasant behaviour, whether he really did any of it or not. I do, however, enjoy the odd ale. Iceland, 1241. Gather round, gather round, and let me tell you a tale of when men were men. Not like the popinjays of today. These were real men, men who waded in blood, consigned their enemies to hell, and wrote fine poetry. I speak of the Norsemen, who bestrode the world 300 years past, worshipping old gods with fire and fury in their hearts. Of all these mighty warriors, none was more worthy of Valhalla than Egil Skallagrimsten. His saga is one of the finest works of Icelandic literature, although it dates from a time before anyone in this country wrote anything down at all. Are you prepared to hear my words, and then feel deep shame at your own paltry achievements? Do you accept that compared to Egil Skallagrimsen, you are no more than worms, feasting on the excrement of dogs? You do? Then I'll begin. It was 904 years after the birth of Jesus that Egil was born here in Iceland. His father, known as Skallagrim, or Grim the Bald, had settled in this remote land after fleeing his native Norway. Many years before, his brother had been killed by warriors of the Norwegian king, Harald, and Skallagrim vowed revenge. His grief-stricken family petitioned King Harald for compensation, but they were brusquely refused. Outraged, Skallagrim attacked one of the king's ships. He killed all but two of the crew, including his brother's murderers. In his fury, however, he also butchered two of the king's cousins. By performing this deed, he had made himself an outlaw, forever banished from his homeland. Now, despite being bald, during his exile, Skallagrim fathered two sons. One was fair of face, but his brother... Egil was not. The lad possessed a wide protruding forehead, 
topped with shaggy black hair. Thick, joined-up eyebrows slanted above his huge, jutting chin, which looked like the digging end of a spade. In later years, the unnatural thickness of his skull bones would inspire Egil to refer to his head as a helm's rock. While not pleasing to the eye, this physical anomaly proved very useful in battle. The saga, however, begins during his childhood. In his third year, Egil was already as tall and as strong as boys twice his age, and could converse with his elders in the most eloquent manner. His father had been invited to a feast, where there would be much drinking and merriment. Little Egil asked if he could attend, but his request was refused. You shall not go, his father said, for you know not how to behave yourself in company where there is much drinking. In truth, what three-year-old warrior of spirit does? As the party rode away, mischievous Egil mounted one of his father's horses, and though the hour was getting late, followed them many miles to the feasting hall. When he entered, the host greeted him with much joy, although his father was furious at being disobeyed. Later, as the ale flowed, the men recited poetry in praise of heroic deeds. Young Egil composed and recited a verse in honour of the host, a verse that won the admiration of all who heard it. But he was not always so sensitive. At the age of seven, Egil was known to be headstrong and passionate. He enjoyed wrestling and playing rough games of ball with other boys. During one such game, he met his match in the 11-year-old son of a rival chieftain. He threw Egil to the ground and taunted him, saying that he would thrash the boy if he didn't behave. His pride in tatters, Egil picked himself up and walked away, to hoots of derision from the other players. He returned a few minutes later, carrying his older brother's war axe. As his tormentor ran laughing with the ball, Egil sprinted up behind him, and with a vicious swing, cleft his rival's head in two, leaving the older boy dead upon the playing field. No more laughter was heard that day, I can tell you. In the resulting fight, seven men lost their lives. Egil's mother was heard to say that the deed showed that her son had the makings of a fine freebooter. This insane, blinding, berserker fury was something that, alongside baldness, Egil inherited from his father. By the age of 12, Egil was the size and had the strength of a full-grown man. His best friend was a 20-year-old named Tord, and they still played ball, but this time against adults, including his father. During one lively game, they played so hard that the ageing warrior had to leave the field in exhaustion. He took this loss of face in good part until later that evening when, after a few ales, he savagely beat Thorn into a bloody pulp on the floor of the longhouse. Then, to remind everyone that he was still a Viking, he began to throttle his own son. A maid, who had nursed Egil as a child, intervened to stay his hand, at which point Skallagrim turned upon her and chased the kindly woman screaming into the open air. Running in terror of her life, she fled to the headland, pursued by the rage-consumed Norseman. To avoid his choking grip, she leapt into the sea, but as she swam away, Skallagrim picked up a heavy stone from the shoreline and threw it with all his strength. His aim was true, and the stone struck her hard between the shoulder blades, so that she sank lifeless below the waves. Back at the longhouse, he resumed his seat at the table, oblivious to the somewhat awkward silence that he'd left behind. 
Egil, however, had seen his comrade beaten and his former nurse senselessly killed. To a true Viking, no loss goes unavenged. Sitting nearby was a fellow who managed his father's household and, more importantly, his money. A highly valued aide, he'd become one of Skallagrim's closest friends. He turned his head to watch as Egil, rubbing his throat, angrily strode back into the room. Egil, who knew how fond his father was of the coin counter, then slew the innocent man with a single blow of his sword. As his body slumped bleeding over the table, the lad then calmly took his seat. The meal continued, with not a word spoken. For some months after the incident, relations between father and son remained somewhat strained, but ultimately they reconciled. Many are the examples of young Egil's passionate nature. Once he accompanied a house carl of his father's on a visit to a nearby small island in order to collect rent money. They rode all the way there and arrived soaked to the skin and freezing cold. They were greeted by a royal steward named Bard, who served the island's king and queen. He escorted the duo to a nearby farmstead and offered them food and shelter. What he did not offer them, however, was ale. Bard knew that the royal couple were on their way to the farm and he wanted to save every drop of ale for them. By way of compensation, he offered the weary sailors a much inferior brew made of curds. When the king and queen arrived, they invited the sailors to attend them at a feast, which included plenty of ale. When he realised that he and his friend had been denied beer in their time of need, Egil took offence. Accepting the offer of a friendly libation, he proceeded to drink the farmhouse dry. Horn after horn after horn he guzzled, becoming louder and more abusive as he did so. So disagreeable was he that the Queen even tried to poison him in an attempt to stop him consuming any more. Despite being heroically drunk, Egil quickly noticed her deception. When his companion staggered to the doorway to be sick, he accompanied him, with his sword drawn beneath his cloak. Cunning Bard followed and tried to entice Egil to drink more of the poisoned ale. Replying with a friendly embrace, Egil subtly thrust his sword through the conniving steward's bulging stomach. As his friend slumped dead drunk in the doorway, Bard's actually dead body slid down to join him in an ever-widening pool of blood. Egil, knowing that no good would come of this, then fled into the night. A hunted man, he ran across the windswept landscape, leaping into the frothing ocean and swimming to another smaller island nearby. Three skilled warriors were then sent to capture him. They never left its shores alive. When he finally returned home, the first thing Egil did was to compose an epic poem about the experience. The matter of the steward's death was swiftly resolved. Egil's family paid a substantial fine and the offended king admitted that the treacherous bard got what was coming to him. The queen, however, would forever bear a grudge. As he grew to manhood, Egil roamed the seas around Iceland, fought as a mercenary in England and ranged across Norway, raiding, fighting and composing verses as he went. Who can forget when Egil and his men were captured on a harrying expedition by a wealthy farmer and he was tied to a stout wooden post to await execution. Straining against his bonds, the mighty warrior uprooted the post from the ground. He then used it to batter down the door of his prison. 
Before he left, Egil freed his companions. He then stealthily crept into the landowner's home and robbed it, while all within still slept. Back at the longship, his crew were eager to sail away with the gold, but Egil turned back. Stealth in the night, he said, was not the Viking way. Returning to the farmhouse, he proceeded to set it ablaze, and as the panicking landowner and his family fled in terror from the flames, he slaughtered every last one of them. It mattered to Egil that everyone in the house knew that it was he, and not some other thief, who had made off with all their gold. Before they died, all indeed did know who had robbed them. Do you know, at a feast once, the daughter of an earl chided Egil for sitting in her father's seat. Instead of killing her outright, Egil charmed the maiden by delivering a verse about setting his enemies' roofs on fire and then butchering them with sword and spear. As the bards say, write about what you know. The girl was very much taken with Egil's ready wit and the two enjoyed much merriment until dawn. Egil's skill with words was as powerful as his prowess with a blade. Few hated him with as much passion as Eric Bloodaxe, the King of Norway, who hadn't forgotten the debt owed to his family by Egil's father. When Egil found himself in Bloodaxe's hands after becoming shipwrecked on the Norwegian coast, his death was all but assured. However, because the Norse tradition forbids anyone from being executed at night, Egil was kept imprisoned until the morning. In that time, as he awaited his bloody fate, he composed a poem of such stirring magnificence that when Bloodaxe heard it, he forgave him on the spot. The poem was written in a style that was both new and exciting to a fellow Norseman, in that the words at the end of each line rhymed with one another. Verse, it said, is the spear of the poet, and Egil was a Viking who knew how to throw it. Many challenged Egil to single combat, but none could best him. Jot the Pale was a giant of a man, but after spending the whole day drinking, Egil still beat him into exhaustion. He did this while taunting him with insulting poetry before finally chopping Jot's leg off above the knee. Ow! And what of Atli the Short? He fought well, and in a savage combat, both men hacked the other's shields into splintered fragments. Powerfully well matched, the battle raged without either warrior gaining the upper hand. Finally, Egil stood before his opponent, with his shield destroyed and his sword knocked from his hand. Another man may have foreseen his end, but Egil's only concern was that there was ale to be drunk and time was wasting. As Atli the Short closed in for the kill, a thirsty Egil sprang upon him and tore his throat out with his own teeth. Egil was, it's true, somewhat quick to anger, but there was a kindness to him that sometimes led to acts of great mercy. Armod the Beard was a wealthy landowner, who hosted Egil and his men at a feast in their honour, and much ale was drunk. When his young daughter, at her mother's insistence, recited a verse of welcome, Armod struck her violently and scolded her to all present. Offended, Egil spent many hours afterwards drinking Armod's hall completely empty of ale. He even ordered his men to stop drinking so that he could imbibe their share. When even his mighty body could contain no more liquid, as a gesture of his displeasure, he held Armod down in his seat while vomiting the host's generosity copiously back into his face. In the morning, 
Still offended, he broke into Armand's bedchamber and as his wife and daughter begged, sobbing for his life, cut off the man's impressive beard with a dagger, before gouging out one of his eyes as a reminder to be gentle in future. Indeed, a great mercy. Egil's saga is full of battle, bloodshed, vengeance, harrying, murder and poetry. It's also 92 chapters long and I need a piss, so let's skip to the end. Such was his skill at arms, Egil never met his death in battle, as is a Norseman's right. Sadly, he grew old and racked with headaches, the increasing weight of his boulder-like skull pulling his shoulders down into a hunched stoop. As he felt death's hand approaching and in a final act worthy of a Viking warrior, he took his servant with him into the woods and buried the silver treasure of a lifetime of plundering in a secluded location. Then, with the last of his remaining strength, he gently murdered the servant to keep his secret safe and returned home to die. Where is his treasure? No one knows. How much of this saga is true? Well, how much of any saga is true? Was Egil Skallagrimson a man among men? Without doubt. Does he compare to Sven Forkbeard? Well, now there was a fighter. There's an ongoing debate about how much sagas particularly Icelandic sagas, should be seen as accurate history. The consensus seems to be that they're based on oral history, which becomes embellished and rewritten over time, so while they're undoubtedly based on real people and real events, a lot of the details need to be taken with a pinch of salt. The sagas mostly cover a period between the settlement of Iceland, around 870, to the country's conversion to Christianity in the 1000s. They're usually family sagas, telling the stories of generations of pagan Vikings and give a fascinating glimpse into how they lived and thought. A bit like Viking soap operas, I suppose. North Enders. Oh, please yourself. Most of them were first written down in the 13th and 14th centuries. The suspected author of Egil's saga was a chap by the name of, and I hope I pronounced this right, Snorri Sturluson. I bet I didn't. He's a major figure in Icelandic literature and is responsible for not only definitively recording a lot of Norse history, but also immortalising much of what most of us now recognise as Norse mythology. Would Thor be in the Avengers without him? Maybe Snorri should have taken a leaf out of Egil's book and been as handy with a sword as he was with a pen, because he ended up getting assassinated in 1241. Egil is a complex character. I've included a link to the full text of his saga in the show notes and you'll see if you look at it how he could go from berserk violence to sensitive thoughtfulness in the blink of a stanza. As a poet, he's best known for a series of verses that he wrote after the tragic death of his son. Consumed by grief, Egil is said to have shut himself away after his son drowned in an accident. He refused to eat or drink and all were convinced that his grief was so overwhelming that he intended to die. His daughter, however, is supposed to have tricked him into eating again and then told him that because the lad hadn't died in battle, his deeds would not be remembered unless Egil wrote a poem in his honour. So he picked up a pen and by the time that he'd finished, he had once again rediscovered his own desire to live. One of the verses reads... 
A leaden weight lies on my tongue. I cannot sustain the measure of a song. Odin has stolen my heart's treasure. I draw no succor from the stores of my soul. The pride of my house is beaten to the ground like trees of the forest bowed before the storm. How can a man rejoice who has borne to the grave the bodies of his kin from their earthly seats? That hardly sounds like the vomiting, axe-hungry pisshead of legend, but Egil was both berserker and wordsmith. A lot's been written about Egil's famously rock-hard skull. Apparently, 150 years after he died, somebody dug up his remains and was amazed to see just how thick and disfigured his skull actually was. They tried smashing it with an axe handle, but the wood simply splintered and the skull remained intact, although it did turn white where it had been struck. Modern medicine suggests that Egil may have been suffering from Paget's disease. This condition causes thickening of the bones, mental instability, deafness, coldness of the feet, headaches, lethargy and facial disfigurement, all of which Egil is said to have suffered from. It's no wonder he was bad-tempered. Next time on Rogue's Gallery Uncovered. The Electric Sex Bed. Sparks fly between the sheets with the 18th century's most technologically advanced sex expert, Dr. James Graham. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to follow or subscribe to it on your podcast provider of choice to get regular roguish updates. And you can let me know what you think by hunting me down on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook. Just look up Rogue's Gallery Uncovered. If you want to be kept permanently in the loop about disgraceful developments in period costume, visit roguesgalleryuncovered.com and sign up for the newsletter to become a lovable rogue. I'd love to hear your suggestions for rogues you'd like to hear me feature and, of course, your thoughts on the podcast as a whole. Your support really is appreciated. That's all for now. Stay roguish and I'll see you yesterday.